um, today still is International Mother Tongue Day, and I'm going to be chatting with uh, Tessa Darling, who is a senior lecturer at UCT in the Department of African Languages. And recently, I watched the movie Arrival, where the linguist Louise Banks, uh, played by a- Amy Ad- Adams, was rooting herself in this previously unknown language and she started having visions of the past and future and the premise being perhaps that immersing herself in this different language started causing her thought patterns to change um, Tessa, is it possible that mother tongue language or, or rooting ourselves in a different language can affect the way in which we think? I think it can, I think it definitely shapes the way we see the world and the categories by which we analyze the world, what, what the categories we use. So, for example, if we live in a world that doesn't have um, ice and, and snow and, and has different scapes, and what's important to us is the leaves and the color of those leaves and, and the sound they make, we're going to have different categories for those because that's what's important for us. So it's, I'm not so much sure if it's thought as as what we need, what what the resources we need. Mm. Now, on a mother tongue day, I started thinking, what is it? Is it literally the tongue of your mother? Because I'm thinking of, of global families. It's quite unusual to have a mother and father who both speak the same language. Well, precisely. Quite often your mother packs you off home to live with your grandmother or your aunt mm. or somebody else in the family. So particularly in South Africa, to call it mother tongue day, I do think it is a misnomer. Um, I think people learn from the people in the street as well. You know, we don't all live in uh, these little nuclear families where somebody's reading to you from a little book and that's the way you learn language or, you know, somebody, one person constantly talking to you. And I remember a student of mine who was called, he said, I'm not really a Posse speaker. And I said, well, what are you? And he said, well, I speak the language of the street, and that it was really interesting. They said that's how I grew up, and our street was multilingual, and we had Sutu, Tswana. And so the new thinking these days is that there is no one language that we should worry about, that this you know, mother tongue. It's rather that we have a variety of linguistic resources available to us that we dip into and use to get our message across. And so... What is the big focus on having a whole day for this? Well, I think I, I, I see it come up every year. And again, I, I think it's it, we don't need one day. Mm. We need to have an awareness of how people speak and, and a curiosity as to how people speak mm. and to get away from labeling and mm. to try and find out what people are doing. Because I have to say, in this country, our preoccupation with the different languages which were anyway created, a lot of them during apartheid to sort of divide people to say, you know, Zulu, this is Zulu, this is Zuti, this is Kosa, um, and so many of them are so similar. And, and that has sort of got us away from the study of what people actually do. And so in African language departments, what we're trying to do is our honours masters and doctoral students to say go out and find out what people are doing for example my master student is researching the language of toddlers of of 
so-called Kosa-speaking toddlers, but is it Kosa? Are they using Zulu? Or mm. are they mm. using a mixture? Are they using English? And is it actually English? Or is it just part of that little toddler's repertoire? Mm. And so that we get a far more meaningful um, resource. We, we get insights into how people speak and what we need to do for educational interventions, for health interventions, and stop saying, you know, this is the language and it's wrong when you say that and it's right when you say that. Mm. But I was thinking in this country, I mean, much of the argument is about colonialization. And when you look at children who may have 11 different languages as the language of their home, if they're wanting to get ahead in um, the job market, for example, and obviously when they go overseas, they they need English as a as a language, not only that they can use, but they can be proficient in. Are we somehow altering, uh, in 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 in, the, in essence, giving English as this language as the gateway language? Are we altering the way that they see the world? I think it it, it English is limiting. I mean, I think it it does it would limit you. In, in certain ways, obviously, it gives you access. It gives you financial access. It gives you access to education. But um, I don't think it, it alters because you will still need to say certain things in certain contexts with certain groups of people. And, and there you will go and you will dip into another set of resources which we conventionally label Kosa or Zulu. Mm. So I think a, a person who is richly resourced in language will have English as one of their ingredients that that is going to make Mm. meaning and make their messages meaningful, but they are going to have others that they're going to use with different people in different contexts. And I find that my English speakers, my monolingual English speakers are incredibly limited Mm. in the way they think, in the way they see the world, in their curiosity and knowledge of others. Mm. They honestly can't see and the more multilingual, the more resources, linguistic resources my students have access to, the more creative, the more understanding they are of other people. So I think it, it is, although we do think English is this wonderful resource, it too can be limiting. Mm, mm. Of course, the argument is for mother tongue language in in your basic learning, uh, because I found when I worked in Guguletu, uh, for example, when people were doing a mathematics assessment, a lot of the time when I looked at the words, the English words that they were, were using just to ask the question before they even got to the mathematics, there was a stumbling block. Of course. And and that stumbling block, and that that's one of the things that some of my students are looking at as well, is how do we negotiate meaning of math, for example? Mm, mm. But sometimes it goes completely wrong. So what you saw there was somebody needing another resource to mm. explain the math. I saw so people, they, they, they were doubly disadvantaged, put it that way. Yes, yeah. they were doubly disadvantaged. Mm. But what we're seeing is that people are creating meanings by going into Kosa, going into English, mixing around thinking what what is it that 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 my learners have access to what will make meaning for them what are they used to mm. so if they're counting in english already don't go and force them to count in Kosa, which they don't even know mm. for example numbers in african languages are completely dying out mm. and we are counting 
using what we would say is English, which again, if you look historically, what was it? So I think things are changing, but we still have this thing, which is, you know, we have numbers in Kosa and we say, uh, um, for circle, not around. And yet so many people are saying around and, and, and so even if we look at those concepts, we can see that we are changing them mm. and, and going to the English set of resources, but phonologically adapting them, then using explanations that might require more resources from our mother tongue. And so it is a mix. Um, and to, to label languages and to, to say that is what we are doing and that is the only way we are going to get to knowledge is incredibly limiting. And I particularly think in maths, mm. we, we need definitely translanguaging uh, resources. Now, I mean, how do you defend the, the evolution of language, as you just gave an example? A lot of purists say uh, that's, that's what's causing the dilution of language. I must say, I'm, I'm a little bit with you. You know, it's more about communicating. But, but a lot of people feel that there is some purity embedded in a language that you lose when you have this natural evolution. Well, I give them a bit of Chaucer to read, and I say, that's English. Please tell me what that is. <laughs> and, you know, if we hadn't had English scholars who were constantly updating the English dictionary and constantly researching it, and, and if, if that was our standard, we'd all be failing. Mm. And I feel that a lot of that is happening with African languages, is that we say, we're looking back, you know, to 1858 and, and saying that is the standard mm. and not acknowledging the changes that have happened. So uh, the language evolves. It is, there is no way you can hold it back. And in fact, that's how it dies. It, it, people go, well, uh, you, you know, my Kosa-speaking friends go, I use the English on the ABSA. You, you know, when I go into the autobank, I use the English. Or I, I, I saw one of my friends and bought the English drivers, learn, get your drivers. And I said, why didn't you buy the Kosa? And he said, it's too difficult. Mm. And, and so the translators used a variety of Kosa that was mm. too difficult. So the person goes for another language and eventually that language will cease to exist because it is not mm. being updated. Well, I was also amazed when, when students were given a choice of um, an English Bible, a Kosa Bible or an Afrikaans Bible. Many of them were choosing the English Bible. Exactly. <laughs> That's and, exactly. you know, people were really going at great lengths to, to make this uh, uh, important knowledge available in every possible language. And it was as if um, the resources that most people had reached had were one step beyond. Yes, exactly. I mean, I, I love the Kosa Bible, and I go there for fabulous sentences to describe grammatical constructions that actually don't exist anymore. <laughs> but um, So it is a wonderful resource. But again, mm. just like the English Bible has been updated constantly, I'm, I'm sure you know that, that, that um, we need to do that with African languages as well. Mm. Well, of course, you know, I, I was talking earlier about the, the movie The Arrival and um, the 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 premise of the movie, I don't know if you've seen it, was the no, aliens come to Earth and um, the linguist is tasked with the important job of asking these people a simple sentence, what is your purpose on Earth? 
And and she was saying, well, that's probably going to take me about two months and I have yes. to be there because you have to unpack all the words. Um, yes. You know, the word what, um, yes. you know, your, the word purpose and earth. I mean, all of those. And, and, and they had to find this language between them. And so it, it reminded me that we often assume that a simple sentence, you just, you, you know, you'd get some language to translate it. And, and that really, I think, did a world of good for the, the study of linguistics because people now have to think about how we construct things. And Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, just what you're saying, what, what is your purpose here on earth? Mm. Or simple, simple sentences that, that uh, my students ask me to translate or... Mm. Um, and I go, wow, that's just not simple. Even something mm. like my mother died. Mm. You know, in yes. is I was died for by, by my, my mother. mother. Yes. <laughs> yes. And if, you know, yes. I, you, know you, you, don't, you didn't lose your job. Mm. You, you were separated from it. Mm. You know, you know, you use these wonderful where I was lost for by my kids. All of these, mm. I was missed by the bus. Mm. I mean, just if we go into passive constructions, mm. things that you just can't say, like empty. Mm. It's like, yes. I remember trying to... The concept just, of entity is a very difficult concept to try yeah. and explain when you don't yes. have the, the basic, the commonality of the language. Exactly. Even mm. a force and power, like in science, that is in, in the culture, we just use amandla for all of it. But there's a difference in English between force and power and strength. Mm. Where in Kosovo we will have one word, but in Kosovo we might have 50 different words for something else. Mm. You know, some mm. being a woman, for example, are you a woman before you got married, a mm. woman being married, a woman just married, mm. are you a woman who's had a child, are you a woman who's. So they've got a thousand mm. different words mm. for woman. And the common error of the he and she, which people often use to ridicule um, people who are in a second language. Um, but it's a common error. And once you understand it, you... you yes, but there is no gender in African languages. Mm. Exactly. So that's why people make that error. Whereas we don't have those tonal differences in English. So every time I speak Kosa, I'm sure I'm saying you instead of he, you know, because mm. it's the same. Ooh. And it's just a tonal difference. Mm. But the I, arrogance of a monolingual speaker, yeah, they make those mistakes. Yes, and, and, it's, and it is that, you know, let's ridicule the accent. And, and, and it, all it is about um, where you've come from. I was also fascinated about the way that, that world languages view color. I understand that in 2009 there was a, a world color survey and they said that every culture has basic color words for at least parts of the rainbow. And then a whole lot of linguists weighed in. And I was fascinated by this research that they'd done in Peru. And it, it comes back to that simple sentence. How do you actually ask the question? And what they did is they simply put a small colored chip on a table and they couldn't ask what color is it because they had no word for color. So they had to say, how is it and what is it like? And so understandably, they got yes. words like it, it looks more like ginger or like fish spawn because they didn't have amber or yellow orange. That is fascinating. Exactly. It looks more like fish spawn. Yes. You know, I like that. And it's so giving you a color. Yes. It's, it, and, and even just the question, and it, it, it highlights the fact that research, researchers are often so pleased with themselves, but the way you ask the question can impact on, on all the research that comes after that.
And what's interesting is after this book came out, there was there was a, a linguist who actually said that um, you know maybe it's 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 not it's not it's not correct to say that every language has color because you know we we no. um, and and so. It's just fascinating to to learn. I didn't know that orange only came as a word in the 1500s. Wow, I didn't know that either. Um, because the the um, the ancient Greeks believed that there was a connection, you know, with colors and musical notes and and the known objects in the solar system and the seven days of the week. I hadn't twigged. Well, why are there seven language seven seven colors in a rainbow? And that's why they got to seven. Um, uh, but in the original listing, Aristotle listed black as a color. And so it was black, white, red, yellow, green, blue, and violet. And it was only when orange came in, and it was uh, simple, um, as they say, color is often about manufacture, because they had introduced orange trees that were bought from U- Europe into Asia. <laughs> and <What's> that? <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> And, 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 you know, even the word indigo, if you, if you ask, you know, that now we do all those Richard of Yorkers battling in vain, ask most people what the color indigo is, and they'd go, I don't know. Um, and, and dark blue, you know, how dark is it? Um, and so is it, um, you, know, you know, that's when I start thinking about color and how loaded it is. And that's before we understand that some people are actually colorblind. So yes. when you say green, they have no reference of green. Um, so, um, you know, I, I was fascinating, you know, also just the way that we, we know certain things to be true. For example, the way that you talk about ginger and auburn, when you're talking about hair, you know that you mean mm. red. Mm. Um, you know, so it's, it's these interpretive issues that, that, that come out. And this linguist who, funnily enough, wrote this book, her name was Anna Vietsch Beeker uh, from, from Australia. And um, she was the one who argued, argued that the, 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 the Walpiri people have no color talk at all. And she says that there are a set of 65 universal words or concepts, but she says color isn't one wow. of them. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Fascinating. That is fascinating. And, you know, often linguists, some linguists don't like that. They, yes. they go, yes. you know, you, ooh, you know, there's this Chomsky and sort of universal grammars and universal languages. Yes. Yes. But the more I work with language, the mm. more, and, you know, you sit hours on end in little huts and villages and doing research and you realize, no, it's not. And like this toddler research, what you were saying about the question, how you ask the question, we go through this inventory of toddler speech and we say, does your child say this? All, you know, all in the translators, not mm. the English, but the closet. Mm. They go, no, 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 doesn't say tissue, doesn't say ball, doesn't say doll, doesn't say this. And you think, sure, does this child speak? But luckily, the linguists get around and they say, you need to also ask, what were the last 10 things your child said today? Or does your child ever say anything that makes you laugh? And that's when you get Mm. The most amazing stuff, and you realize these children not only speak, they're poets. Mm. It's the yes, language, it's, it's, it's the question that, that closes the question. them down. Yes, yes. If we had to tick off on that list, mm. you know, they're going to fail. Yes. What they do speak, you yes. know, lift me up. I'm exhausted over here. It seems like you're ignoring me, the <laughs> two year old says, you know. <laughs> 
um, yeah, it's it's. I also d- didn't realize that in um, that we were talking about color, but this also goes to smell. And apparently, in the Jahai language, for example, they've got more um, a more extensive vocabulary for odors. God grief! Um, and when you think of that. Um, you know, color also, they, they said, you know, manufacture obviously impacted on that. You know, are yeah. you, is it a green shirt or a red shirt? <laughs> you know? yes. Um, yes. But in nature, why would you want to distinguish? Yes. Why would you want to distinguish? Well, if it's useful to. Mm, mm. And I think know, that's, that's the thing. And that's the thing what you're talking about. And you, you use the word using language as a resource, which... Yes. Uh, you know, which you know, and of course, when 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 linguists were criticizing the the movie Arrival, uh, you know, people were saying, "Here's the thing. Here's some alien coming." And the you know, don't you love always the Americans and they want to speak English to them? But in the movie, at least, you know, the Chinese were doing it all around the world. But you know, they they commented an alien perhaps would be capable of hearing a frequency that we can't hear. They yes. and we might only hear a fraction of their speech. They might be able to see things like in infrared and ultraviolet or even some sort of higher dimension and so, have different categories for exactly. those exactly and so the language that that, that they used to describe things our, our brains might not be able to even comprehend it and it's this arrogance of this world view which is normally of course american when the aliens come <laughs> 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 and of course the americans always rescue the world <laughs> But you know, to give them their due, they populate my classes at UCT. (laughs) Americans do study African languages. And and, and South Africans don't. You know, I often wonder, why is my class full of these, uh, what you call, study abroad? So the curiosity that Americans have, even though in the class they will tell you that is a very stupid way of saying it sometimes, and you go, yeah, but it's the way. (laughs) But, you know, I just don't know why you want to do it like that. It's just I've never come across anything like that. And you go, well, now you are. But um, there is at least that curiosity. And I think that bravery, um, even that arrogance of, I will learn a language that's really difficult (laughs) in six weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, the the whole idea of using a language as a resource. But I also find, you know, the fascination that uh, people from America have for African languages it, it it often embarrasses me as an English speaking South African <laughs> because yes. it's not just understanding the language, it's how it's constructed and um they, and unpacking the layers. Absolutely, they do that and, and more than them is, is is German researchers. I mean I would say in the world the top uh, you know, students and scholars of African mm. languages are in Germany and mm. then America, Holland, mm. you know, Netherlands, it, that's where you get it, where they're really robust. And then in South Africa's dying out. I mean, we really struggle at universities to get students. Mm. Now, if, um, if you had a parent coming to you and saying to you, um, should I speak to my child in their mother tongue? Or, yes. Or only, or should we be multilingual? From what you've said, you would say polyglots rule, and then, yes. <laughs> so you definitely would, okay. I would say speak in your mother tongue, mm. and and you know the English must be encouraged and um, have they must have access to English and 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 use it, but certainly never stop using your mother tongue in whatever form it has evolved into. 
You, you know, mm. I think sometimes people mm. go, oh, mm. but I speak it so badly, so now mm. if my grandmother hears me, and then there's all this kind of self-consciousness. Mm. Mm. I, I had a, a Spanish boyfriend once, and he came to South Africa and married his wife and had a child, and I was horrified to hear. He didn't you. Sorry? Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> 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 yes. And I was horrified that his his son um, didn't speak Spanish. Because he came here and he wanted, he was rooted in linguistics and he went to study linguistics and he said, I'm wanting, and it's funny, I started the, the conversation, is it literally the, the tongue of the mother? Because in this case, yes. he said, I don't want to speak Spanish. I want to only speak English. We're in South Africa and I'm wanting to root him in English. I want him to learn it well. The sadness wow. for me was years and years later that his son could not understand his grandfather. Yeah. No, I, I, Fred, I do find that sad. And but I wouldn't I, advocate for that. But I still think it's it's hard work when you see parents making sure that all the languages are spoken. In, mm, but they mm, do it. Mm. Well, um, it seems like the, the idea of having a mother tongue day, as you say, seems a bit of an anathema. But what, yes. we, what, what, what we, it seems what we've really done in this interview is explored the joy of language and, and the corners of it <laughs> more yes. than anything else. Yes, and I'm so pleased that you, you see it that way. That it's, it definitely, if, it, if it makes one have these kind of discussions, it's good. But, yeah, if it, the notion of a mother tongue... It needs to be contested.